Welcome to Minnesota Matters. I'm Scott Peterson, and I'm joined by MNN's Bill Werner, Tasha Radel, and Mike Grimm. We're going to delve into what's going on in the North Star State. If it matters in Minnesota, we've got it covered. This week, a special Minnesota Matters. I was a school teacher in Minnesota for 41 years, and I'm sick and tired of the shooting. I'm sick and tired of assault weapons, and things just have to change. We're tired of the inaction, both here at the State House and in Congress. We don't often know their names and stories, but we know the pain and trauma for families and communities is the same. The phone call saying their loved one isn't coming home. Let us be moved tonight to come together in community to honor with action in a collective effort to fight gun violence everywhere. I'm not waiting on Mitch McConnell. I trust Minnesotans to fix that. So here's the deal. Bring them back. We'll bring them back here. Let's have the vote on red flags and background checks. And with this pen, we'll sign it into law. And we can do it this week and finish that. Gun violence is again in the spotlight in the wake of mass shootings in Texas and Ohio. Here in Minnesota, advocates, lawmakers, and citizens are making their voices heard on both sides of the issue. In the wake of the shootings, President Trump addressed mental health and gun violence and proposed more stringent background checks and so-called red flag laws. Rob Dorr with the Minnesota Gun Owners Caucus says he'd like to see specifics, but he's skeptical. You know, it's we're always interested in looking at things that will actually yield a positive result uh, and uh, while respecting people's individual liberties. And the, I, I, you know, I was, I was rather, as, it was a, a bit upsetting to see that within a couple of hours after the attacks, you had the politicians in Minnesota using, citing these instances as reasons to pass universal background checks and red flags in Minnesota, while, while by every indication that exists right now, neither one of those bills would have prevented these tragedies. And so I, 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 instead of scoring political points, I think it would be good for all of us to look at what actually are the drivers of these tragedies and trying to find ways to address those. We're always happy to be part of that conversation, uh, but you know, we're, we're not going to participate in knee-jerk and emotional reactions trying to capitalize uh, on the, public, uh, the public's outrage. And Rob, from your perspective, what would some of those options be um, you know, beyond what's already been suggested? You know, it, it 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 really requires looking into what the the indicators are. In the scope of of you know, gun deaths, mass shootings are are relatively uh, you know, a very small percentage of it. Uh, the vast majority of gun deaths come from suicides, and in Minnesota, it's seventy eight percent. Then you've got violent crime, and then you also have these kind of acts of terrorism. And I think. You, Everybody's trying to lump them all together as if they have all have one solution, but I think we need to take a more pragmatic approach and say if we're looking at reducing suicides, which is the, the largest number, the lowest hanging fruit, what strategies can we do to focus on those? When we're talking about violent crime, violent crime's gone down over 50% in the last 25 years. We're doing a pretty good job there, but there's always things that we can look at to, uh, that we could do better. And when we're talking about these uh, acts of terrorism, that requires a lot of... of 
uh, other types of strategies with with helping recognize warning signs and, and intelligence gathering and communication between agencies and recognizing those who pose a danger to self or others. So there's no one-size-fits-all, but I think we need to stop treating it as a one-size-fits-all problem. Do you think that it makes sense to consider uh, bans on certain type of weapons that that are sometimes used in these kinds of mass shootings? You know, it, I think that it, uh, there is very little efficacy outside of just kind of the emotional outrage that happens. When you look at the, the numbers nationwide, there, there are about 350 rifle deaths. That includes the semi-automatic military style uh, nationwide. Compare that to hands, fists, and feet, uh, that's uh, about 750, and then that's about 1,500 for knives. In Minnesota, we have, on average, one to two rifle deaths a year, and they're not these semi-automatic style. So I I don't think the data supports that that targeting on these types of firearms is going to yield any sort of uh, any sort of tangible reduction in gun deaths. Reverend Nancy Nord-Benz is with the Gun Reform Group Protect Minnesota, and she says the impact of mass shooting after mass shooting in this country is devastating in so many ways. She says events like what happened in Texas and Ohio. Well, I guess what they do is they open Americans' ears for a few days. Um, and, and the more of these horrible events that we have, the more we see Americans saying enough is enough is enough. Yes, we've become inured, but, uh, and the numbers have to be bigger and bigger in order for people to notice. But so many of these shootings are happening now that we are getting the attention of America. Um, we know that, Amer- that Minnesota would be safer. Minnesota would be safer, and I have to say that over and over again, if we could pass our criminal background check bill and our red flag bill, we know that we'd be safer. We know that um, 50% of all Americans live in, in states that have passed comprehensive criminal background checks, that over a third of all Americans live in states that have passed red flag laws. These are constitutional. They're not experimental. They have mountains of public health research that supports them. And yet we can't get the Minnesota Senate to vote on these bills. And it's, it's, it's like a mirror image of what's going on in Congress right now. So if President Trump is saying, well, we need comprehensive criminal background checks and red flag bills, I would say to our Minnesota Senate leadership, listen to your president and help us pass laws that we know would save lives. And why are you waiting for the next horrible mass shooting to happen in Minnesota before you do so. Because the sad reality is that when there is a terrible mass shooting in Minnesota, they will pass those bills. We've seen it over and over again in other states. Florida just just leapfrogged Minnesota on strength of gun laws. But they had innumerable tragedies that made that happen. Are they waiting for those tragedies to happen in Minnesota? And if so, are they actually looking out for the welfare or of their constituents? Or are they worried about being primaried by the gun guy? Coming up next, MNN's Bill Werner talks with state legislators about the likelihood of changes to Minnesota's gun laws when Minnesota Matters returns. So you see, son, good manners are very, very important. 
someday, many years from now, when you're a grown-up, you'll be a man. And when you are, you should be a gentleman. Do you want me to go through it one more time? Yes. Yes, please. Yes, please. Exactly. Always say please, thank you, you're welcome, and excuse me. Sit up straight, hold doors open for ladies. If a door's shut, then knock first. Don't burp, don't swear, don't speak with your mouth full, don't reach across people's plates, keep your elbows off the table. What table? And don't interrupt. While we're at it, don't stare, don't use foul language, don't call people names, but do remember people's names. Always share your toys, play nice, and cover your mouth when you cough or sneeze. On the bus, give up your seat to anyone who has trouble standing. Bottom line, treat others the way you'd like to be treated. Got it? Got it. And stop picking your nose. Most parenting is hard to do in just two minutes. But spending just two minutes twice a day making sure they brush their teeth is easier and could help save them from a lifetime of tooth pain. For fun two-minute videos to watch while brushing, visit 2min2x.org. That's 2min2x.org. A message from the Partnership for Healthy Miles, Healthy Lives, and the Ag Council. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. As we continue looking into Minnesota's response to the mass shootings in Texas and Ohio, let's set aside some of the frontline rhetoric and see if there's any possible way toward a compromise on an issue that has both sides highly polarized. MNN's Bill Werner joins us to examine that. Scott, I think most people know that one of the measures that anti-gun violence advocates strongly support and that gun rights groups just as strongly oppose is background checks on all gun sales. That issue has been deadlocked for many years, both in Congress and at the Minnesota Capitol. And so those attempting to move the needle in this fight against gun violence are focusing on a slightly different, albeit related, area, namely measures to keep guns out of the hands of those with mental illness, with what are called red flag laws. They involve law enforcement, or in some cases families, being allowed to petition the courts for what are termed extreme risk protection orders. Minnesota Senate Republican Majority Leader Paul Gazelka contends that's the wrong approach, but he says there is a possible solution that could follow the line of existing state law. Red flag laws really are not that direction. They, they, it acknowledges that it's a mental health issue, but really it, it's the courts instruct the police to take the guns away. Uh, there's not really any due process. Um, there's not really any medical evaluation you know, versus the system we have in place right now. Uh, there is a thorough medical evaluation when somebody's under a 72-hour hold and where they can identify and, and actually diagnose. And, and that's you know, where I think we should think about spending more energy and effort related to mental health. The direction is where we presently are, and that is um, when the medical professional professionals uh, determine somebody is unstable and they end up being civilly committed, uh, they lose their rights to own a gun. That's the present law. The problem is we're not doing, I think, a good enough job identifying people that are uh, in that place. Uh, just having a judge take away somebody's guns based on somebody other somebody else's accusations, I think, creates all kinds of problems, uh, including due process and revenge and a number of things. But but identifying true mental health situations uh, is, I think, something everybody probably agrees we have have to figure out how to do better. That's Senate Republican Majority Leader Paul Gazelka. St. Louis Park Senator Ron Latz, the lead Democrat on the Minnesota Senate Judiciary and Public Safety Committee, argues that using Minnesota's current laws for a 72-hour hold on people in mental health crisis is not an effective way to keep guns out of the hands of dangerous people. He's deflecting the real issue. 72-hour hold is inadequate 
to address the issue. It's not a replacement for the extreme risk protection orders. Uh, quite often, they don't even last 72 hours uh, because the people are brought in and the physicians uh, evaluate the situation and determine that they can be released. Um, the uh, Plus, this isn't really a mental health issue. Uh, you know, there is a, a small sliver. The number I heard uh, yesterday was 4% of uh, gun crimes are committed by a person who is undergoing severe mental illness. Just trying to say this is all about mental illness, it's not going to go anywhere near solving the problem of gun violence in our community. Uh, we have a situation now where extreme risk protection order, which in, in at least one form, the concept is supported by the NRA, um, and uh, according to President Trump, he supports it yesterday. Uh, he stated explicitly he supported it. Um, it's a whole different uh, evaluation. It gives a lot more due process uh, to individuals uh, who would have a court hearing, if they wish, to determine whether or not they were uh, emotionally healthy enough to not be a risk uh, to themselves or to the people around them. And Lance argues even a red flag law directed at those with mental illness won't keep guns away from all dangerous people, that there must be criminal background checks on all gun sales. Most of the background checks are going to address people, get people who have violent criminal histories um, and that are trying to get around, get around existing laws by buying on the private market where they're not subject to those background checks. Rather than going through a federally licensed firearms dealer where they would get the background checks, uh, they're buying on the uh, private sales market, the neighbor-to-neighbor, the, -neighbor, the online transactions, uh, the gun show loopholes to say that, uh, well, we just deal with this as a mental health issue and there'll be nothing else. Well, that'll take care of it. It will not. It's a political fig leaf to avoid doing the heavy lifting that's necessary to solve this problem. At St. Louis Park Democratic Senator Ron Latz. And so the debate has come full circle, back to the issue of expanding background checks on gun sales, something that Senate Republican leader Gazelka opposes. Most guns have a background check, but the background check system, which really is more of a federal issue, has been failing. They don't dig deep enough, they don't uh, respond quick enough, um, universal background checks extends it to selling a gun to your son or daughter, you know, borrowing a gun to your friend to go hunting with you. And to me, that's not where the problem is. It's, you know, so how do we make the present background check system work, work better? And so that, that's another area I think certainly we're talking about. Um, and this is a complex problem. You know, there's, there's people that have guns that do use them for suicide, taking their own life. You know, there's the criminal on the street. That's kind of a whole different group. And then there's this group that's just deciding to shoot innocent people. And so, you know, it's very complex. That's that's why it's been difficult to solve. Lots of people have talked about lots of solutions, but none of them uh, to date have really had much of an impact on somebody that, you know, is determined to kill a lot of people with a weapon. And, of course, that, Scott, is what happened in El Paso, Texas and Dayton, Ohio and what has pushed this issue once again to the forefront of national and Minnesota politics.
Thank you, Bill. Coming up next, gun violence and mental health when Minnesota Matters returns. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. This week, President Trump linked the mass shootings in El Paso, Texas and Dayton, Ohio to mental illness, causing a wave of pushback from mental health advocates across the country and here in Minnesota. MNN's Tasha Radel has more. President Trump's comments spark much debate around the topic of guns and mental health. Mental illness and hatred pulls the trigger, not the gun. Joining me now is Sue Abderholden, head of NAMI Minnesota, the National Alliance on Mental Illness. Sue, when you first heard the president's remarks, how did you feel? Well, frankly, I was disappointed. Um, It really paints people with a mental illness with a really broad brush. Um, You know, there are many different types of mental illnesses, right? I mean, you know, depression, anxiety, you know, bipolar disorder, schizophrenia, PTSD, and it doesn't mean that all of them are potential shooters. And I think one thing that's important to remember is, you know, people with mental illnesses live, you know, around the world, right? Every country. Mental illness impacts every race, every ethnicity, every age, you know, it doesn't matter whether you're male or female, you know, it, it impacts everyone. But we don't have those same types of issues in terms of mass shootings in other countries. And so it's a simplistic, frankly, answer to a complex problem. And when we dig into the data even further, um, how many people suffer uh, from mental illness? Well, one in five people will develop a mental illness. So that's a huge portion of our population. Um, There has been research on the shooters, um, actually here in Minnesota, um, through the Violence Project, and what they have found is not that people have a mental illness in common, but other things. For example, they found that um, most had experienced early childhood trauma and exposure to violence at a young age, Um, that there was a crisis point in the weeks or months leading up to the shooting. Um, they also found that people were trying to validate their motives, um, which, again, was not necessarily related to mental illness. And then they all had the means to carry out their plan, so they had access to guns. So it has to be you know, not that I don't want a better mental health system, not that I don't want to ensure that everyone has access to mental health treatment when and where they need it, but to blame this on mental illness is, is just not valid. And, you know, I think I had read a, a statistic about when, when we look at violent crimes, how many of these crimes are being committed by people living with a serious mental illness? It's only about 4%. You know, so again, we're, you know, we're looking for an answer, um, you know, a simplistic answer to a complex problem. So it's, it's you know, people with depression don't become mass shooters. Right, you know, someone might be living with depression and be a mass shooter, but that's not what led them to actually do that. And I and I think in the situation that we've seen so far with these two shootings, it really it was about hate, and hate is not a mental illness. You know, you said something earlier in this conversation that keeps, I guess, sticking in my mind, and. You were talking about um, when we look across the world and in other countries that we don't see white males living with mental illness uh, being, I guess, conducting these mass shootings. Can you, can you elaborate on that? Well, that's what the research shows us, the data shows us. Um, and so I think, again, that there are other issues, whether it's, you know, access to, you know, these high, um, 
you know, high-volume guns, um, you know, machine guns and things like that, that, you know, you don't need to hunt. You don't use those to hunt, right? Um, and they don't have access to them in other countries. That could certainly be an issue. And so is it fair to say that mental health doesn't discriminate? I, I think that's absolutely true. Right. Exactly. You know, we have people living, someone, you know, had posted, you know, on Facebook saying, well, but, you know, I, is anyone with a mental illness in their right mind? And it's like, well, of course they are. We have people with mental illness doing, you know, incredible number and variety of jobs in our communities, right? Whether it's a physician, a lawyer, you know, a parent, a teacher, you know, a nurse, you know, a reporter, an elected official, it it doesn't mean that they're not going to be able to contribute to society, and it doesn't mean that they're all going to become mass shooters. Thanks again to my guest, Sue Abderholden with NAMI Minnesota, the National Alliance on Mental Illness. Back to you, Scott. Thank you, Tasha. Up next, discrimination cases and hate crimes are up across the country. We get a local perspective when Minnesota Matters returns. You, my friend, have connections in the government. Yes, you. USA.gov, the official source for government information on thousands of topics. And like any good connection, there's no telling where it can take you. Why, one day you're getting student loan information. Next thing you know, you need job hunting tips. Today's road construction info could have you searching for telecommuting ideas tomorrow. The more you use USA.gov, the more uses you'll find for it. Passport applications, for example. They've been known to lead to a sudden interest in travel advisories. Our new mobile apps will even update you on the go. So whether you have information to get or ideas to give your government, check out USA.gov. Who knows? Lottery results today could lead to retirement planning tomorrow. USA.gov. With the right connections, there's no telling where you can go. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. I'm Scott Peterson. The racial element of the recent mass shooting in El Paso is one part of the story that's getting a lot of attention nationwide. Here in Minnesota, State Human Rights Commissioner Rebecca Lucero says her office has seen a significant increase in discrimination cases. And roughly 40% of the charges filed by the State Department of Human Rights over the past year included claims of racial discrimination. That's up from 28% two years ago. That's because of, uh, for a variety of reasons, the population is growing, we're getting older, we're certainly becoming more racially diverse all over the state. And uh, we're also specifically seeing an increase in charges of discrimination in areas such as race. Um, Why do I think that is? There's a lot of reasons behind that. Um, I think that we can talk about the the systems and structures that are in place that perpetuate uh, discrimination. And that leads to where you can see some of the highest rate of racial disparities in the country here in Minnesota, be that education, housing, etc. I also think right now we're at a place where um, there's such a strong culture of um, white nationalism or white power that is um, controlling a lot of the uh, culture in a really dangerous way. And that can lead to more violence. I think Every day across Minnesota, I talk to folks that want to live in a world where everyone can be thriving. They want to live in a world where there is no discrimination. And so I know here in Minnesota that we are working hard to choose differently so that we can be the best state in the nation to raise children, so that we can address bias and discrimination, so that we can make sure that we're not 
a place where violence is happening or will happen. So that is, I think, a good summary of all of the pieces that are going on right now. Commissioner, since you do see people every day in Minnesota who seem to want to make things better, uh, what are the steps that we can take in order to move the trend in the right direction and actually improve? Yeah, thanks for that question. Um, I think the the most important thing that we need to do is be really intentional about doing um, anti-bias work, um, anti-bias training, um, recognizing that uh, what is in place has been deeply embedded in our systems for long before we got here. And so being really reflective about what's going on and why it's going on. And then um, asking a lot of questions about, like, well, is this benefiting everyone? Is it benefiting um, or is it actually creating disparities, particularly for people with disabilities, people of color, people of certain religions? And how can we reimagine a policy or a procedure or a statute that um, is more comprehensive to all Minnesota? Commissioner, with regard to cases of discrimination specifically, if somebody is victimized by discrimination or if they witness it, uh, what sort of recourse do they have? Uh, who can they turn to to report such events? Yeah, so they can call our office and we have walked, or they can come visit us at our office here in St. Paul, and we also have a satellite office in St. Cloud. We have walk-in hours at our St. Paul office Tuesdays and Thursdays from 8 a.m. until 4.30 p.m. But the um, ultimately, um, someone would would talk to an investigator and see, look, is this the right place for uh, for you to be talking, maybe maybe this is something that does need to um, be criminal, and that we need to talk to a different. We need to talk to the police. Maybe it's something that belongs in human services, and we can help get you connected there. Um, and maybe there is an issue of discrimination, so um, an investigator can help file a charge of discrimination, and then uh, an investigator would do a neutral investigation. So this is often happens in schools, in housing, and most often actually in employment. Um, and so we do an investigation and make a determination if something is considered discrimination under the law. I want to be really clear here. The standard for what is considered discrimination under the law is a high standard. Um, and that's why it's so important to do the cultural work as well, because there's a lot going on under the surface um, before it reaches the um, uh, place of discrimination. All right. Very good, Commissioner. Anything else on this issue that you wanted to mention? I, I think I'll just mention that um, sometimes these really horrible events that's happened in El Paso and is happening right now um, draw a lot of attention to this um, when it comes to creating a world um, where we're addressing bias and discrimination, it takes constant work. And so it's something that we have to keep working on all the time. Um, and so I think I would encourage folks to build in an equity lens into the work they're doing wherever they're doing that work. Um, so it's something that we're addressing at the root causes long before it gets to a violent situation. And of course, I just want to send um, so much love and um, good thoughts um, to the families and victims um, across the country. These, these moments um, ripple through all of us. Um, and so we need to make sure we're just being kind to each other in these moments. Thank you to my guest, Minnesota Human Rights Commissioner Rebecca Lucero. And anyone wishing to report a discrimination case can do so at 651-539-1133. That number again, 651-539-1133. 
That's going to do it for our show this week. Thank you for listening, and please tune in again next week for Minnesota Matters on this MNN station.